Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover personal journeys behind their work, explore options from indie to traditional publishing, and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. I'm your host, Katherine Taylor. Let's Get Writing is a show all about the writing process from creation to publication. And here is where I hope you can find inspiration, ideas, but most importantly, meet the people behind the stories. We bring life to books and so much more. And we're available each week on Facebook Live and also housed permanently on my YouTube channel at Katherine Taylor TV. And if you like content on the go, why you can find us on your favorite podcast platform. And now on to the good part to meet our guests. And I say guests because I have not one, but three guests today who are part of a compilation entitled Land of Many Shores. Here's my copy with all my yellow stickies from enjoying it and coming up with ideas and questions. Land of Many Shores, Perspectives from a Diverse Newfoundland and Labrador, a book recently published by Breakwater Books and edited by Ainsley Hawthorne. Well, do you think you know our province well? Perhaps not as well as you think. And I'd like to start with Ainsley to tell us a little bit about that. And I'll bring her into the stream now. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Thank you so much for having us on today. We're excited to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on. And um, it's a very, for me, I often have one guest occasionally too. And, but today I have three, so I'm excited to, to do that, but certainly well aware of time because you all have so much to say. Um, Ainsley, in your uh, compilation or anthology, I'm, you cover, it was on the back, Indigenous people, cultural minorities, physical and mental disabilities, workers in the sex trade, people from a variety of faiths, people who have experienced incarceration and other marginalized and underrepresented voices are brought to the forefront in Land of Many Stories. A beautiful title for that collection and for the concept. So what I'd really like to know first, and I'm sure everyone would like to know, how did you envision this book and, and why? Well, it really came out of a frustration that I've had for many years with how we talk about the culture in Newfoundland and Labrador amongst ourselves and in our media. So we generally treat uh, diversity like it's something that's new to this place, that it's an import and not something that is here already. And I think that that is missing so much of uh, what makes this a uh, rich and interesting place to live. That's really um, ignoring many stories that are already here. So what I wanted to do with this collection was um, invite people from backgrounds, life experiences, communities that we don't get to see represented as often in our media and give them a chance to, to tell um, real nonfiction stories that were meaningful to them. 
Well, that was quite a mountain to climb, I would expect, because, you know, often I think when we think of diversification in our province, it's something that's on the tables. Now we're talking about newcomers to Newfoundland, but your book expands back historically and covers so things so much more broadly. So how did you begin finding people who would contribute to the book? Well, an anthology is a big undertaking. And in this one, there are 25 authors total, including myself. So what I did was I was looking for people who were either already writing or already speaking publicly about themselves, their cultures, and how they fit into this place. Um, so people who were thinking about these ideas and interested in getting them out there. And so I started inviting people that I thought may be interested. And of course, I gave a lot of thought to um, a broad range of experiences that I was hoping um, to include. Uh, we have everyone in the book ranging from very experienced um, writers who publish many books themselves to people who've maybe never written anything for publication before. So the process of editing a book like that is very interesting and was challenging for me because some pieces would come in and they would need a little tweaking, but very little editorial work. Then you would get other um, instances where someone would uh, send me a message saying, I have notes, I have ideas, but I'm not sure how to put it into a piece. So then we would work together in a more intensive way um, to develop something that they were really proud of and happy with. Well, it, it must have uh, been quite a project. What time frame did this take? And how did you find a home, you, uh, you know, a publisher for this? What was that experience like? So it was about two and a half years from the time that I put uh, the pitch together until the time that it was actually published. Uh, I felt that Breakwater was really the right home for this book. So when you're looking for a publisher, I think you're looking for... Um, uh, a company that's already interested or, or already publishing books generally in the same vein of what you'd like to publish and connects with the audience that you want to reach. So I was definitely looking for a publisher within Newfoundland and Labrador who would be very connected to the communities here. Uh, and Breakwater has been doing a lot of great work um, historically, really for the past couple decades, around um, diversity communities whose uh, voices aren't necessarily represented in the professional publishing industry as much as they should be. Uh, so they've done anthologies like Transversing, which was stories from um, trans people. That was a play as well. They've recently done Us Now, which is stories from uh, immigrant and racialized Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Uh, and they've published many, many books from uh, racialized and LGBTQ plus authors, among others. So I thought that was really the right fit. That's where I sent my pitch, um, the only place I sent my pitch, and I was really lucky that they were absolutely uh, interested in it. Well, they do say that half the, the part of pitching a book is choose the right publisher. And, and obviously you did that, and I fully agree with you. I've seen so many amazing books come from Breakwater over the past few years. And in fact, I've had many guests here, one of them being Paul David Power with his Crippled. would be another wonderful example of, of, of a story that is, needs to be told, and, and, and he's doing it. Paul's wonderful, and he's in this book as well. So I, I'm so glad to be including him. He's such a fantastic writer and a wonderful playwright. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, it's 
funny. I had to, uh, I, I was very intent on reading everyone's contribution and I overlooked yours. So the very first thing I'm going to do when I finish this interview is to go in there and find what you wrote, because I'm going to very much look forward to reading that. I brought your website up on the screen here, KingsleyHawthorne.com. Um, this is, I want to do this so people will know where to reach out to you. But what, what can we expect to see on there? Because you do other things as well. Yes, yeah, so in addition to information about this book, uh, I post all my articles there. I write for CBC and Psychology Today, along with some other publications. Uh, and I also have a radio show and podcast called Apocalypse Then, which is about past pandemics and the similarities that we can see between them and our current experience with COVID. So um, that airs on CBC Newfoundland and Labrador, but I also post all the episodes on my website so people can find them easily. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Now, I am going to say goodbye to you, <laughs> but you will be back. But you've, you've painted uh, such a vibrant picture of Newfoundland and Labrador. So I would like to continue on that vein and uh, bring two of your con contributors to the, uh, to the set. But I'm going to do them one by one. I'm going to bring um, up first uh, Ilga Leja. And so I'll say goodbye to you, but don't go away. Thank we'll be you. back. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Now I'm just going to change a couple of things here and um, and I will put your site up. There we go. Olga, you're coming to us from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And yeah. uh, <laughs> so nice to have you here today. Thank you. Yeah, you are not foreign to writing because you have been a librarian for your career. And um, But how did you feel about being invited um, to be included in the anthology? I was absolutely thrilled. Well, I was surprised first, and then I was thrilled, of course. Um, and uh, the way it turned out was that um, I had been involved in a research project with a colleague and friend of mine, Suzanne Hines, uh, who was Baltic German. Her maiden name is Rodzewicz. She and I have been um, working for a number of years collecting oral history uh, interviews of some of the people who, who immigrated to Newfoundland back in the 1950s from our communities, from our communities in Latvia. And uh, so I had published an article in the Newfoundland Quarterly, which Ainsley had spotted and uh, thought was interesting. And so she contacted me and I was absolutely delighted when I heard about her project uh, uh, I was absolutely delighted to be included in that project. Mm, well, that's a message to people out there. Share your writing. You never know where it's going to lead. That's right. Well, I find that that's absolutely true. Mm. Now, what I, I, when I was reading your essay, it, you opened by saying, we were never meant to settle in Newfoundland in 1950, yet you grew up and called Newfoundland home. And you were part of the Baltic community that came to Corner Brook as part of Joey Smallwood's initiative to, I guess, industrialize Newfoundland, make us this powerhouse. Absolutely. Tell people a little bit about that, that history and how you ended up here. Well, it was a consequence of the Second World War. Um, my parents had um, fled their home in Latvia because it was in the process of being taken over by the Soviets. And I won't go into the long history uh, of, of that whole period of the Second World War. It was very, very complicated. But in the last days, it was the Soviets who won out. 
and who took over that territory. And uh, my family had already suffered uh, greatly under their previous regimes under the Soviets. So we're among the Latvians who knew what the future would hold if they had stayed. And um, so they fled along with over, I, I don't have the, the number in my head right now, but Latvia basically lost a quarter of its population in the Second World War. And um, those people who fled, fled primarily to the German-held territories, to, to Germany itself, which is what my parents did it, but also to places like Sweden. And in some cases, some people made it to Britain. But the majority ended up in, in Germany and many who ended up in displaced persons camps. Um, and they became part of the problem of the Second World War, which was the, the largest like, migration in history uh, of people who were refugees who needed to be placed somewhere. Germany was in no position to, um, to continue to have them uh, live there. Uh, Germany itself had been, having been devastated by the war. So here was the problem, was my, my family among hundreds of thousands of, well, actually millions of families mm -hmm. um, were stranded in a sense. And um, an opportunity came their way when um, Newfoundland joined Confederation. So this is this, this strange juxtaposition mm -hmm. of the, the history of Newfoundland coinciding with the history of, uh, my, uh, of the people of, of Latvia who, who were, were, had fled. So um, because Smallwood was determined to industrialize Newfoundland and to make it less dependent on the fishing industry, he was looking for partners who could come to Newfoundland and begin to install those industries. And um, to make a long story short, my father, having been an engineer with experience in building cement gypsum plants, he was um, contacted and became part of um, the initiative to build a cement plant in Cornerbrook. And when um, and he was the chief engineer on that project, and so when he came, he brought with him all the experts, all the technicians and laborers and workers who were familiar with that industry he brought them with him. And of course, they were people that he had worked with in Latvia. So this was what brought this, this conglomeration of about 70 uh, people all together, uh, which consisted of, of other engineers, managers, mm -hmm. uh, and technicians who were, who were the experts. And, and then they came to Cornerbrook in 1915 and began constructing the plant there. Yeah, and you were born in Cornerbrook. No, I wasn't. No, you weren't? No. Uh, I was I was uh, uh, two years old uh, when uh, I arrived in Newfoundland, but uh, I have no memory of of the crossing of coming up by ship. Uh, I, I was too too little, I guess. So yeah. my memories start in Cornbrook. Interesting. And so and I, I grew up. I grew up within that community. Yes, and you know I feel that. Um, this part of history may not be really known by younger Newfoundlanders, but it actually touched my family as well with my aunt marrying one of the men who worked at the cement plant. Yep. And um, so, it, you know, when I read your, your essay, I didn't expect to find a connection like that, but I did. Well, that's Newfoundland for you, right? Yeah, that's Newfoundland <laughs> for you. It, it, connection, connections are everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And a, and a large motivating factor, you said at the time, your father moved because of fear of communism. And, the, and, and but it was your mother who was 21 years younger who convinced him that the move to Newfoundland was the right decision. So now as you sit here talking to me, 
do you feel that she was right? Oh, <laughs> unquestionable. Absolutely. Although I do have to confess that when Latvia gained its independence in 1991, those of us living in the diaspora were really moved by that and, and had fantasies about possibly moving back and raising our families there and, and kind of re, re-energizing the country. I mean, the patriotism among Latvians is fierce and closely held and uh, even among the second and third generations. So um, I, I, I have to confess, I did travel back to Latvia several times and I did feel um, a, a, a connection to the place and to the people there. I still have relatives, many relatives there. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, Canada won out hands down. I can remember the first time I went to Latvia was during the communist period. Brezhnev was um, the, the president or prime minister, whatever the term was then. And he, uh, so it was still strict communism. It was before the Glasnost period of, of and perestroika of, of Gorbachev back in 19, this is 1983. So I experienced what it was like even though I was I was a tourist and very carefully monitored and carefully, uh, there only I was I was I was marshaled in terms of where I could go and what I could see, and I can remember getting back on the plane to Canada and I almost kissed the ground um, because I I had experienced what that difference was and, and what a wonderful country Canada is, and um, I'm so grateful to be back in this country, um, having having had that experience. Mm-hmm. And once you once you feel that and go through something like that, it's not something you can on live or on forget. And, no. and it just run deep. I, just as we wrap, I want and before I bring my next guest, but there were many ways that the Baltic community influenced Cornerbrook, and I just wanted to quickly touch on that from your perspective. Well, um, um, they came as devastated people, but they were absolutely determined that they were going to make the best of it. And one of the ways they did was to to grow the, their community and to uh, have a lot of fun. Fun was what I grew up with. Lots of parties and a lot of involvement with the local community. So the, the theater, theater was, was something, live theater was something that especially the Tota family brought to Cornerbrook. And there, so there were a lot more performances, musical theater. Uh, music was big. Uh, that community brought um, concerts to the area that had not been there previously things like the Atlantic Symphony was invited to come to perform at the schools and and in the local community uh, but the biggest thing of all was skiing yeah. Latvians love to ski and there was no ski club as such there were some trails um, up at the rod and gun club but they started there at the rod and gun club at rod and gun club and established the cornerbrook ski club and from that uh, built a community of skiers among the local Newfoundland population as well as the the ethnic population, enough that they were able to then um, begin to develop a real ski resort at Marble Mountain, mm-hmm. which uh, Newfoundlanders know all about, which yeah. is an absolutely fabulous, fabulous ski ski resort in western Newfoundland, just outside Cornerbrook. And they were among the ones that um, started that whole project together with mm-hmm. a, a few Scandinavians as well. So, yeah, so I think they've left a little bit of a legacy. I like mm-hmm. to think. Yes, indeed. And I think anyone visiting Cornerbrook feels that uh, that legacy when they're there. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wonderful perspective. And uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you. And folks, sure. uh, um, 
Ilga's uh, website there. She's also a wonderful knit, knitting designer. Anyway, go there and learn all about that as well. And we'll see you again in a few minutes, Ilga. Don't go away. <laughs> Thanks, Catherine. Oh, good. We have you. <laughs> I, I did drop you. out there. <laughs> yeah, I saw you disappear a couple of times. And I have Ainsley, too. But I'm just going to hide you for the moment, Ainsley. And we'll talk to Michelle Butler Hallett. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank um, you so much for having us. Yeah. And this has been such an enlightening conversation. And you are actually a true Newfoundlander, having been born here. Mm -hmm. uh, and you are a novelist and writing is familiar to you. So how did you approach going into this anthology? Hmm. Oh, I was really thrilled to be asked. Um, and uh, my first reaction was, huh, I don't think of myself as marginalized. I'm white as a pail of milk and I enjoy all the privileges that, that, that go with that. I'm sorry to say, but they are certainly here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And then I got to thinking, I'm always talking about some kind of, of, of disability advocacy. Oh yeah, I've got that complex thing that I'm still I'm still uh, trying to uh, to internalize. Am I disabled? Am I not disabled? How do I feel about that? And 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 that's where my essay really came from. Yeah, well, you entitled your chapter "You're Not Disabled Hyphen Disabled." So, can you for for people who may not understand that, can you explain why you chose that title and how it reflects in what you have to share? Uh, that was said to me once as meant as a compliment, and the presumption behind the compliment was that disabled is something irredeemably horrible, and it's only one homogenous experience, and that is certainly not the case. Very uh, Different people with different conditions, um, even from day to day, things things can, can change with my own self. I might need two, two crutches on Monday. I might need one crutch on Tuesday. I might need no crutches on Wednesday. I might be in bed on Thursday. Was I not disabled on Wednesday? You know, that's that's that, and there. It's not a cut and dry yes, no, X, Y. It's it's very much on on a spectrum of experience, and I think a lot more of the human condition and human existence is on a spectrum than we've ever really considered before. Yeah, you you touch upon that in your article about kind of that binary effect and how we we look at things like even ourselves as Newfoundlanders or non-Newfoundlanders mm -hmm. or disabled or non-disabled. And I thought your perspective to look at it as on a spectrum was really interesting. Thank you. Yeah, what you had to say. I also, there was another point uh, that you made that really stayed with me. And it was, you know, I have to ask you, do you feel that disabled people are treated sometimes as though they don't exist? And, you know, as I read that, it was, you know, you, to quote you, you said, I can only respond with how often strangers treat me as though I'm invisible, as though I don't exist. And, you know, when I read that, Michelle, it just made me feel so, and I still feel very emotional about it, but I, I, I'd like you to speak to that. Um, yeah, I do think that has certainly been my experience. I'm not going to even pretend I can speak for every single disabled person ever because I can't and I certainly don't want to. A uh, big thing I've noticed is that, of course, my, my disability is fairly visible. You can see me limping. You can tell I'm in pain. I usually have, have crutches. So once people could see those outside things, all of a sudden, like I'm five foot seven, I'm 200 and rur rur pounds. You can't miss me, right? I'm, I'm there. I'm big. I take up space. And yet all of a sudden when I'm using crutches, people bash on by me. They let doors slam in my face. I'm not there. And that was, that really, oh, pardon the pun, that really opened my eyes. And it also made me realize how much I used to do it myself. I am not proud of this. 
And I wonder if that isn't tied into all of us having just a fear of mortality, the sense of, oh, look what trouble this person is having. That could be me. But the empathy stops there. And that's, and that's where the problems begin, I think. Yeah, I think that's the author in you coming through too, <laughs> thinking in the broader uh, in the broader way. And I have your website on on the screen here because people may want to look at what you have written, and certainly they can go there to learn more about it. Thank you. Um, and just uh, you did resist for a long time getting a blue spot for many years, and you know that I thought, why? Why did you do that? <laughs> Because it meant I had to admit to myself that this wasn't going to go away anytime soon. Um, it meant I had it meant I had to admit to myself that I am disabled. And I'm glad you mentioned the um, the parking pass because, of course, the pass like the spots has got that logo of a person in a wheelchair. And for so many of us, um, that's what we hear disabled. That's what that's what we think of. Mm. But um, and that it's immediately something to pity and be sorrowful about. And it is absolutely not a wheelchair user has the wheelchair is their freedom. It gives them back some dignity. They can get out of the house. I feel the same way about my crutches. I'm not ashamed to use them. Um, but it, I did have some internalized ableism. I really had to work on myself and say, why am I so afraid to consider myself disabled? Why am I so afraid to start planning for my future when I may deteriorate or may, may have to um, renovate my house? What was I afraid of? Mm -hmm. and fear, I think, is what's behind the, 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 the lack of empathy and the pity we sometimes get, which is often well-intentioned, but it's incredibly irritating. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think any of us likes to be told who and what we are and who and what, and what we can or cannot do. I can tell you what, what I can do. You can't tell me and vice versa. Yeah. Well, you're a very strong advocate. And I'm going to bring the, the, the other guests up now as we, we don't have a lot of time and I sure wish we did have more time. I'm going to bring them up in the screen. And there we are. Everyone is back together again. Michelle, I didn't want to cut you short because there were other things I wanted to ask you, but I, we have just really a, a minute to wrap, to wrap here. We're just about at the end. And I just very quickly wanted to say how, you know, what do you want people to learn from this collection? And maybe each of you can just take a short moment to, to comment on this. We'll start with you, Ainsley. Um, I say in my chapter in the book uh, that I kind of think of, of these essays and stories as postcards from a province we might not know as well as we think we do. And I, I'd like people to treat them that way as little portraits, little missives. No one can represent their whole community. Um, but these are just little perspectives that might open your eyes to the broader community around you. Thank you. Well said and well done. And we'll go to you, Ilga. Uh, what would you like people to take away? Oh, I can't hear you. Just one moment. My 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 fault. I have to unmute you. I'll ask you again. What would you like yeah. people to take away? Well, I, I just wanted to, uh, my part of this was to to add another dimension to Newfoundland history, mm -hmm. that Newfoundland history is, is a lot more complex and unique and convoluted and interesting uh, than, than people might realize. And um, that was kind of, I wanted to open up that little window. Thank you. And finally, Michelle, to you, what do you want people to take away from your contribution? Break the prison of self and what you think you know and learn how to listen. <laughs> Mm, I'm still working on that myself. Yeah, I think we all are. It's one thing I have to do here all the time when I have guests, for sure. I have to listen to what they say and, and, and hear what they say. So I certainly appreciate that comment. We can all improve in how we listen and how we hear and how we understand our neighbors 
in Newfoundland. I want to thank you, you so much for coming on the show. I, I hope we've enlightened people. And to those in the audience, I hope that you will take the opportunity to investigate Land of Many Shores. It's, um, it's a thought-provoking book and a book with many wonderful stories. And thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope to meet you all again in person, perhaps, the next time. Have a, have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank, thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. You're most welcome. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.